You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Um, so good to be with you as always. So powerful as the, as the body of Christ, as the people of God to gather and to worship and study his word and listen and really say, God, what do you have for us this morning? And so that's what we're going to do again, as always, uh, get into the word of God and ask God to speak to us. And so if you have a Bible, why don't you open up to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus 23 and 24 is going to be our text today. Uh, and as always, if, if you've missed out on the last several months of our study in the book of Exodus, all the sermons are up online, either to the website or podcasts on iTunes, and you can catch up to, to where we're at. But we're going to be continuing our time, finishing off chapter 23 and reading all of 24. And uh, throughout our time in Exodus, we have different people from uh, our church, Ohana, read the text, switch it up, gives us a bit more attention on longer sections. And today I want to invite up um, dear sister, friend, servant of the Lord. Her and her family actually moved from Los Angeles to help start this church. And they've been a huge part of um, being here and serving the Lord and seeing it come to fruition. I want to welcome up Jen Hansen to read the word of God for us this morning. morning, church. Here we go. Exodus 23, verse 20. See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Worship the Lord your God, and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you, and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hittites, Canaanites, and Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea and from the desert to the Euphrates River. I will give into your hands the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. Exodus 24. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. 
You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, <laughs> as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his, hands, his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Jen. Appreciate it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. God, thank you for your word that you have preserved for us, that we have it. And as we read it, this is the historical count of you dealing and, and interacting and speaking to your people. I thank you, God, that you are living and active, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that today, thousands of years later, halfway around the world from where this happened, you are still God. And you still want to speak to us. And so God, we place ourselves under the authority of your word as our God and our, our Savior and as our Lord. These aren't just, these aren't man's words. This is your word. God breathed and God inspired. And we trust it for our lives. And so God, we ask that you would speak to us, give us understanding not only to the text of what this all means, but also what it means for us in our own lives. God, would you make us a people that have obedient hearts, that are just willing to say yes to you 
and no to our own stuff and sin and our own will and say, God, your will is better than ours. Your ways are higher than our ways. Would you do that in our hearts today, Lord? Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in this incredible unfolding story of the people of God, right? Movies have been made out of the story of Exodus, Christian or not, churched or not, we know about this vivid story of of this entire nation that was imprisoned under this really evil, tyrannical leader, Pharaoh, right? And Moses, used by God to, to say, let my people go. Right? And there was the plagues and all that happened in Egypt. And then God miraculously freed them out of that. Parted the Red Sea has led them to Mount Sinai. They've been going through the Sinai Desert and they've led them to Mount Sinai. What we're reading in the book of Exodus is not allegory or metaphor, metaphor, excuse me, or made up. Like this is an historical account of Israel being freed and being formed into a nation. God has led them every step of the way. God is very much the main character of the story. He's using Moses, he's using others, he's meeting with his people, but he's the main character and he's doing it. And where we're at right now in our text is that we're camp- the, the, the children of Israel are camped out at the foot of this mountain, Mount Sinai, the very same mountain where Moses first encountered the Lord in the burning bush, right? As a shepherd, Moses was out with his sheep. He went to the footsteps of Mount Sinai and he encountered this weird burning bush. The bush was burning, but it wasn't really burning. And God spoke to him and he laid out his whole plan that I was gonna free Israel. I was gonna bring you back. So God's promise has come, come to pass. They're here at the foot of Mount Sinai. They've received the Ten Commandments. They've received the law. And they're going to be here about a year or so before setting off on their journey towards the promised land. And in our text today, God, once again, he's speaking and he's interacting with his people. This time, it wasn't just with Moses. It was Moses and Aaron, two other guys. I can't pronounce their names. Jen did a great job. And 70 elders, and these elders represented the people of God. They were the ones that, that spoke on their behalf, made decisions for this, this nation. At this time, there was two and a half million of them. It's a lot of people. And so these 70 elders, along with Moses and Aaron and those two other guys, they go up the mountain where God is residing. I mean, the purity and the power and the person and the presence of God is on this mountain. I mean, this is crazy, because normally, like, you, you can't just be in the presence of this pure, holy God without dying. But they, in this really strange interaction, strange, amazing interaction, it says they saw God. They saw him, and God spared them, didn't do that. They didn't die in his presence. What actually happened was is they, had a, they had a meal with God. I don't know the logistics. I don't know the logistics. I don't know how it looked. I don't don't know what it was like. But they said they ate and they drank in the presence of God. And I hope that you would see that, you know, Moses has, has known God in an intimate way. He's seen or experienced or been in the presence of God. There's a few that have that have been near him. 
But this is very new, uncharted territory. And what this would have done in the life of these 70 elders that would then go back to their own tribes and families representing the whole of the nation was it would bring this far-off, aloof, powerful God very intimate. Oh, we've dined with that God. That God wanted to meet us. That God invited us into his presence. That God is as real as he gets. What we see is a very intimate moment in the life of Israel, right? And then the laws are written down again. The covenant relationship is confirmed. We talked about this a bit last week. All these laws are laid out, all these commandments, all these statutes, all these things that God says to do and And Israel's response to God is, we'll do everything that you say. Right? Last week we talked about, it's like the wedding vows, the I do's, the the, I'll do this for you, you'll do that for me, and we confirm our vows. We are now in a covenant relationship with our God. That's what's happening here in Israel. But if we look a bit deeper actually into chapter 23, I kind of just recap 24 for a second, what it does the end of 23, is it details God's plans and Israel's part in seeing God's plans come to fruition. He actually is communicating his character and his intentions of what he was going to do for his people. And if there's a truth that we need to know about God, not only for Israel, but about all of humanity, is that God has good plans and he has good intentions for us. God isn't out to get us. We may have that perception. God is scary. He's fearful. I don't know his intentions. I don't know what Christianity is about. I don't know what the Bible is about. Well, well, let's just end it right there. God has good intentions. Actually, the best intentions for his people. And so for Israel, right, for them specifically in this time, God had good things prepared for them, and all they needed to do was just obey. I've done it all. It's there for you, right? He was speaking of the promised land. Why did God free his people out of Israel? Not only was it Obviously an issue of of justice because they were enslaved, but it was so that they could ultimately get to the promised land. They could be in covenant relationship with their God in this land promised way back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. The Bible describes this land as a land flowing of milk and honey, meaning it's, it's wonderful, it's glorious, it's amazing. And this land for Israel was for their flourishment as a people so that they could live with and experience the fullness of their God in every sense. Physically, spiritually, you name it. This land, this promised land to these people were so they could live life as it was intended to be lived in covenant relationship with their God. So the truth is, is that God is good. His character, from this story in Exodus, hasn't changed. He's immutable. There's no shadow in his turning. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
A lot of people say, well, well, the God of the Old Testament isn't the God of the New Testament. You totally have read the Bible wrong. You totally don't know what you're saying. The truth is, he's the same God. His character is showed and displayed in different ways, but he's good. He's a good God, and he has good things for his people. Paul, later in the New Testament, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, right, Ephesians, echoes something very similar. Paul, in like two of three verses, does a lot of stuff. But Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, you guys might have even memorized this. For by grace, you've been saved through faith, right? This is not your own doing. This is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one should boast, for we are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should just walk in them. So look at, look at what Paul just did. He described how we're saved. It's by grace through faith. It's a gift, right? Our right standing and our salvation with God isn't by our own good works. Let's just get that straight. Paul's just saying, let's just get that straight. It's not about you. It's about what Christ did on the cross. Then he says, look at verse 10. We were created by God. We're his masterpiece or his worksmanship. And he has good things before us that we should just walk into them. Look at that. There are good things that God has in store for us that he has prepared. That's Exodus language. That is literally in in, in some way, what Exodus 23 in detail is saying. God is telling his people, I have good things prepared for you. Just follow me. Just obey me. Let me lead you. Don't go here. Don't go there. Don't worship that God. Worship me. Follow me. Right? God has good intentions for humanity. He did for Israel. He does for us. But in order... To receive all this, we need to walk with him. We need to walk into them, as Ephesians would say. There's good things prepared. We just need to walk into them. In other words, follow God, a.k.a. obey him. Right? This is a biblical precept or concept or idea. Obedience to God brings blessing. Obedience to God brings blessing. Let me explain. I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel right now. Right? The health or wealth gospel, which says, you know, if you're in God's good graces, you should be rich and healthy. And if you're not rich or healthy, then you're not blessed or not obeying God. I'm not sure where they get that. It's not in the Bible. I could rant on that for a while. But let's actually look at what the Bible says about it. So for Israel... Sorry, that was like really quick, jump into the prosperity now. But we'll just talk about it later. <laughs> Say it again. For Israel, there were good things ahead and promised to them if they obeyed. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, God said, hey, don't have any other gods before you. Worship me alone. Follow me. Follow me into good things. Now, that didn't mean that they wouldn't go through seasons of battle, right? Unrest, waiting, lots of waiting, 
and hardships as they obeyed. So it doesn't mean that like, just because you obey me, your life's gonna be perfect and you're gonna be healthy and rich. That's not what it says. There's good things ahead. Obey me and I'm gonna lead you there. And they, they, they more or less did, right? Some did, some didn't. But their story when it came to the promised land was major battle. Like it wasn't just like, yep, let's go, we're good. There was a major battle, like Jericho, remember that? That was one of the many things that Israel went through while obeying. Like years of it, actually seven years of this in the land, when they finally like crossed the Jordan, took seven years of battle till they finally reached and fully experienced all that God had promised. And that was like 40 years after wandering in the wilderness. Right? So God's ultimate goal, hear me, hear me. God's ultimate goal is for us to get the fullness of what he has intended for us. Because he is a good father and he desperately wants the best for his kids. But he knows what's best and he knows and he uses suffering and trials and hardships and tragedies for his glory and our good. That's part of his plan. That's part of the way that we experience the fullness of who God is. A lot of times, it's when we're suffering, when we're without. And we all know this to be true after the fact in our own experiences, right? Like we can say, oh, if that hadn't happened then I'd be somewhere else. Or if I wasn't without in that season of life, I wouldn't have had to, to be desperate for God. Right? We can recall and recount our lives, and when we, we felt like everything was falling apart around us, when we clung to the Lord the most is where we experienced his goodness the most. When we were most desperate. When we were, when we were needing him the most. Like for Israel, the whole wilderness experience that they're currently in, that they're gonna currently continue in, was a time of testing and a time of forming. So for them to encounter God through obedience, that's how they, they grew and they became near to him in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of maybe feeling without or waiting, or wandering. This is where they encountered God. This is where they met him, and this is where they experienced his goodness. I mean, just look at our text today. What did these 70 elders do? They met with the God of the universe, and they dined with him. And they experienced the fullness of his goodness, and his glory, and his power. But the reality was, they were in the middle of the desert. <laughs> They were dirty and hungry, and there's a million things they were without of, so to speak. But they were meeting with their God. See, God's intentions are that he has good things for us. He wants to use us. He wants us to experience real joy and peace. And you know what God's best is for us? Himself. Right, true blessing isn't stuff. 
True blessing is communing, being in perfect, loving relationship with our God. Sometimes that's stuff. Sometimes that's part of it. God blesses you. God blesses us. God provides. Of course. But in the truest sense, the greatest blessing, the greatest way that we can be blessed and live in the fullness of what God has for us is to live with him and experience all of him in perfect, loving relationship. It's very different from what we maybe would see as blessing, right? Because God's primary goal is for us to ultimately know the depth of his love, joy, and peace. Our good father, desires that in Christ, through obedience, that we would experience like the fullness of joy. Sometimes we, you know, it's hard to comprehend because we're, we're so up and down in our lives, right? Like in one day we can recall like, that was the greatest day. Then I turned into the worst day. Then it got better. Then I was happy. Then I wasn't, right? We call, we recall seasons of our life and all of a sudden we're like, that made me happy. That wasn't. This was great. This was horrible. But you have to remember that God actually has made us. He's our creator. He designed us. So he actually knows all of us way better than we'll ever know ourselves or anyone in our life will know us. So God is going to put us through stuff because he actually knows how to give you the greatest fullness of joy. And it's absolutely going to be different than you think. But God knows us best, and he wants us to obey him so that he can usher us in to the fullness of joy that's found only in him. What does God also want us to experience? Peace that surpasses all understanding. I don't have to whip out any statistics or tell you that we are some of the most anxious and stressed out generation that's ever existed. All of us are worry, anxiety, stress. Like we're so unpeaceful people. I don't have to like convince any of us that. But God, what he wants to do is he actually wants to give us a peace that surpasses even comprehension. And he also wants us to know his love that is pure and unconditional. I mean, think about what unconditional love is. Unconditional love is someone loves you despite anything you ever do to them. Even in the best marriage or the best relationship, we still struggle with making our love un uh, of, of conditional. I'll love you if you love me. I'll love you if you're good. I'll love you if you're nice to me. I'll love you if you give me what I want. It's all conditional love. What God's love is that he wants to give us and have us experience is a love that we, don't even, we can't even comprehend because it's literally with no strings attached. I will love you regardless, even if you hate me. That's, that's bottled up in the cross. While we were enemies to God, what did God do? He sent his only son to die because he loved us. That's crazy love. So living a life of disobedience will actually rob us from enjoying and experiencing God's goods and good intentions he's planned for us. 
will actually miss out. I don't know if, about you, but like FOMO is like the worst thing in the world. Fear of missing out. Or like uh, there's something that you could have had and it was amazing, but you didn't get it. And so when we, when we live a life disobedient to the Lord, we actually just miss out on like experiencing the fullness of what God has. What's crazy is it's just he did all the work. Ephesians, there, it's before, like God's like, I've, I've done it. It's right there. It's actually all laid out. All you need to do is walk into all this stuff, all this goodness, all this grace, all this mercy, all this peace. So, so what, is that, what does obedience look like, right? Or, or, or better yet, obedience to what? Well, the same is true for us as it was to Israel. It's God's word, right? Because in God's word, we find God, his heart, his plans, his purposes, and his intentions, right? It's been said that his word is his will and his will is his word, right? His word is the direction and guide for what God desires of us. So obeying his word, like, God, this is what you have. This is what you say I'm supposed to live like and do and not do. So obeying it is actually going to lead us to life, like the fullness of God's desire, how we have to function. It actually leads us into his perfect design, and blessing comes from obeying it. Right, and there's much in scripture that tells us the benefits and value of obeying God's word, but I'll just pull a few verses from Psalm 119. If you've never read Psalm 119, out of like 176 verses, 174 of them are about the word of God. The word of God is speaking about the word of God, the value of it. Just a couple from Psalm 119. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. Goes on to say, your testimonies are wonderful. In other words, your word is wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes your word. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Right, in God's word, we discover God's heart, his plans and his intentions for us. And obedience to the word literally allows us to walk into all that God has. But for Israel, right, there were specific things and plans that God was calling them to obey. Like, this is my land I have for you. I'm calling, like, this is, this is specific to you guys right here and right now. And our lives also have unique thing God unique things God wants us to do and through us, right? And this can be more tricky. Um, this, this can be a dangerous slope. But nonetheless, what we see in Scripture, what I believe to be true, is that the Holy Spirit, in line with his word, will lead us and will reveal God's more specific will to us, like very much a more personal, tailored design like Ephesians talks of. Like maybe decisions that you need to be make or, or certain things that he wants to call you into or certain people that he wants you to pray for. Like the Holy Spirit can lead us into these more specific guiding things in our lives. I believe that God's intimately acquainted with all our ways. He's purposeful with all that he does. And I can just testify that like part of my own story, and I'll share a bit of my testimony right now, is that I didn't grow up in the church. 
got saved in middle school, like around 13, 14, right after I got saved, the weirdest thing happened. It's that church. Church was still weird for me. I didn't grow up, but I didn't even want to go to church. After being saved, I just didn't like church. Guy walks up to me and my mom, never have seen him before that, never seen him again. He says, hey, my name's, Mary's name, Elliot. Mary's name. He says, hey, looks at me. Hey, God's going to call you to be a pastor one day. It's your choice if you want to do it or not. Walks away. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that was weird. But it stuck with me. But it was weird because it's like, you have a choice. God's going to give you a choice. I uh, didn't hear anything for about seven years. Then like at 21, got involved with reality, starting in California, and um, got called into, you know, the office one day. I was doing the youth ministry at the time. And just, I was actually the game guy. That's all I did at youth group. Just made fun happen. Like, you teach the Bible, you do worship. You, I'll just make fun happen. That's what I was there for. I did that for like six months. And then I got called into the office um, and said, hey, we want to see if you want to pray about being the youth pastor. I went, game guy to youth pastors. This is a big jump. But let me pray about it. But in the middle of that conversation, I remembered Elliot seven years earlier. There was going to be a time where God was going to say, I want you to be a pastor, and you can choose to do it or not. Obviously, in this conversation seven years later, this came up. Uh, I wrestled with the Lord. Like, actually, like, had a lot of trouble figuring out if I was supposed to do it. But actually, I knew I was kind of supposed to do it, and it just... It was hard to obey. I was in the middle of school. I was pursuing other stuff. I had to lay that all down to obey the Lord. But I knew that I was supposed to. I can tell you that story later because that's also gray. How'd you know that? How'd you hear the will? You know, I get it. Tell you later. I said yes to the Lord. That's when I was 21. Um, I'm almost 35. So I don't know if that surprised you or not. um, It's almost 14 years now. Uh, I've been in full-time ministry. Here's what's crazy. So for the last 14 years, all of this was depending if I just said yes to the Lord or not. And it would have all been different if I didn't. My whole life, right, we, we, any decision you make kind of does that. But for me, if I did not say yes to the Lord, I just did something else, it would have all been different. Now that doesn't mean that God would have loved me any different or anything like that. Like, none of our actions can change his heart and character towards us. Right? If I said yes or not. Like, but I sure would have missed out on all the blessings of being used by God in the way he wanted me to. I would have missed out. Right? Being a pastor in ministry, serving Jesus heavily is amazing. It's a gift. It's an honor. It's a privilege. And I have found such incredible deep joy and purpose and love from God as I've obeyed. But again, that by no means has meant that everything has been perfect. Wonderful, easy. It's, it's far from it. Right? As a pastor, like you encounter tremendous Opposition, burdens, responsibility. It's a lot to care for people, to help lead a church. And also, as a pastor, you get to experience like the very height of highs in people's life 
and absolutely the lowest lows, right? I get to perform weddings. This is incredible, right? I'm like, you're here and they're here and you're seeing a covenant happen between them and God. Like, this is unbelievable. But then also, for the first one to get called when you're getting a divorce. Birth, a lot of times it's like, super involved with people's life or get to go to the hospital right as the kid's born, but then also have to deal with, with death, right? I get to experience salvation and people coming to know the Lord, but also maybe one of the first people to hear when someone's fallen away from the Lord. It's a huge blessing and honor, but that doesn't mean that it's not filled with all this other stuff. But I will completely stand by and I will look past that little momentary things, and I'll look at the big picture, and I can say that without a doubt that obedience to God's word and his spirit leads to being blessed. And again, what I mean by blessed is to experience Christ in a way that I never would have if I didn't say yes to him. That's just true. Obedience brings blessing. Now, I want to you know, as we kind of wrap up here, I want to I kind of come against maybe some misconceptions about obedience, right? So you can say that disobeying God is sin, because it is, but hear me out. I don't mean but like it's not true. Just hold on. But I believe a better and maybe more helpful way that more encompasses God's heart as a loving father is disobedience misses the blessing. Yeah, 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 disobeying God is a sin, yes. But I think it's missing out on the fullness of what God has. I think it's, I think it's a different way of thinking because so many of us, when we think of being obedient or obedience, we think that it's only keeping us from the negative, right? Why don't we break the law? Well, because we don't want to get in trouble. Yes, but you just thought of the negative consequences of obeying. Because there's also good reasons why we shouldn't speed or drink when we're driving, right? It's the safety and preservation of other people's lives and our own lives. So, so laws should be put in place to, to, to foster and flourish humanity's life and, and happiness. That should, should be. So the reason, though, why maybe we don't obey, why we why we obey the law is because we just don't want to get a ticket or go to jail. But again, we're thinking of the negative. Because when it comes to obedience to God, I think sometimes we think the same. Oh, we just got to do the right thing because we don't want to upset God and we just don't want to like be not blessed. And like there's all these weird misconceptions or wrong ways of thinking about obedience. I think we're missing the point. Right? God has so much good that we aren't even aware of that we're going to miss out if we don't obey. Right? Obedience is the pathway to gain the fullness of Christ. Not to just avoid a consequence, but we want to obey because we want to get the fullness of what God has for us. Right, thinking of Ephesians 2, God has good things already there. We don't have to do any of the work. It's all there, so we just need to step into it. 
But our motivation to obey shouldn't be out of the fear of like consequences, but it should be out of love. Okay, think of your kids if you have them. Many of you do. It's not hard to understand if you don't, but what's the best way that we can teach our kids obedience? Sorry to burst your bubber, but bu- bubble, <laughs> bubber. It's not the fear of consequences. It's actually a better way to teach your kids kids obedience is to develop a loving connection with them that they want to obey you because they trust you, because they love you, and because they know you love them. This is a big difference, actually. Again, I have kids. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. This is way, way harder said than done. Right, and, then, and there's total time. It's like my son's three, and I got We got to have some consequences here, but of course, I'm not saying not to. I'm saying, what's a better way, though? What did Jesus say? J- Jesus says that. It's not me saying it. John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you'll obey me. Jesus doesn't say, if you fear for your life that I'm going to do something bad to you, you better obey me. He says, if you love me. So we're to obey God, why? We should get to the place because we trust him. We love him because we know he loves us. It's a very different way of thinking. And I understand that for some of us here, maybe we haven't even thought this way. Right, we, we, we got saved and we go to church, but we're not really thinking this way and that's okay, but now's the time to be aware and know. God has good things in store for us that we should just walk in them. Key to experiencing that is obeying. So I'm going to ask a couple questions as a way of response as we enter into a time of worship. These are the questions that I want us to ask ourselves today. Are we willing to obey God in order to get his highest good for us? Are we willing to obey God, believing that he has our highest good in mind? Another question would be, are we willing to trust and surrender to God's will in order to walk in God's design for our lives? Jesus did this in the garden, right? He said, not my will, but your will be done. Are we willing to do the same? And lastly, are we willing to deny ourself, our plans, and our story and surrender to his better story for our lives? Because I guarantee you, as much as you have going on, he has a better story for you. And it's good. God is good, and he has good things for his kids, and he's already laid them out. And all he wants us to do is say, okay, my life's no longer my own. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Let's pray. God, thank you that we are not supposed to be the captain of our own souls, our own keeper, our own leader. We're not supposed to be God. We're not supposed to be in control. You are. And as smart and witty and gifted and 
successful or whatever it is, God, we want to we surrender all of that and say, God, we want what you want. You have our best in mind. Our, our very best. You created us. You designed us. You know what's best for us. And God, we want to live into that. God, would you help us? Would you make us an obedient people? And not out of fear, but out of love. We want to obey you because we love you. So God, would you illuminate maybe in our own lives what that might mean specifically? Maybe there's, there's areas uh, of disobedience that we're walking in. Or maybe we're not even asking the question. We're just living our life how we want to. We're not even thinking about it. God, we want to be in line with your word and your spirit and your will for our lives. God, we don't want to miss out on getting the fullness of what you have for us. So would you make us a people that are willing and quick to say yes to you and no to whatever else it is? Yeah, God, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. If you want me to lay that down, I'll lay it down. Your ways are higher than our ways. Would you, would, you, would you drill that deep inside our heart? 